0: you're listening to the business of pharmacy podcast with me your host mike kelzer lisa for those who haven't come across you online introduce yourself and tell our listeners what we're talking about today
1: i'm dr lisa faust founder of diversifier x and the pharmacy profit summit and what i love to talk about is profitability of independent pharmacies because i do think that every pharmacy can be profitable so i'd love to dive into all the different aspects of that
0: lisa i think pharmacists are afraid to make a profit i think they're not used to it and they've been beaten down and Almost like profit's kind of a dirty word to them, which of course it's not, but I think people feel that way.
1: One of my favorite sayings that I, that I tell pharmacy owners and I preach from my soapbox is profit is not a four-letter word because you're absolutely right. Many pharmacy owners feel icky making a profit or even talking about making a profit that you somehow must be doing something wrong if you're making a profit now certainly just like in anything in life there's a right way and a wrong way to do things but i firmly believe that there are so much more opportunities right now in pharmacy than ever before to go out make a profit and really take care of your patients all at the same time they're certainly not mutually exclusive i actually think they're Very much mutually inclusive. You should be doing both. But yes, you must make a profit in your pharmacy. If you're going to stick around for years to come and maybe even create a generational pharmacy that's going to pass on to your kids and your grandkids, you have to make a profit in order to stay afloat, stay in business so that you can be there to serve your community.
0: Generational. That's sad for me. I got a number of kids and I don't think any of them have really latched on to pharmacy. But I tell them, I say, if you want to go into pharmacy because of the science, go into it. But don't go into it depending on this business and this building to be here. And that's sad for me. Not real sad, because I don't know if any of them would anyways, but it's just sad that that idea is not there.
1: It's that it's not even an option. I know I I get I get the tingles too. Because when I first opened my first pharmacy, I had envisioned it being around for hundreds of years. Like I, I don't think any of us open a pharmacy to like, say, Hey, I want to quit in five years. And so it it is kind of sad because that that those types of community pharmacies are really the staple in so many cities in so many areas. I know so many of us think of the hop in urban areas with all the chain pharmacies. But frankly, there's far more tiny little towns out there with pharmacies that have been around for 100 plus years. And that doesn't happen unless they actually can thrive. Like, you know, everybody has to make a living. We all have to put food on the table. And so I'm going to say it again i think there's more ways now than ever before but you can't do pharmacy like you've always done it like the old way of pharmacy is gone and we all need to mourn and say some words for that but you you kind of have to look at it completely different going forward
0: you know as far as pharmacies i think there's more independence than chains in the u.s is that right
1: yeah i i think i think i've heard that exact thing too because if you look at some of the numbers from some of the chains you know they have 4000 they have 5000 they have 8000 you know they have these really mm. big numbers but if you total up all of the independents it's actually a bigger number than all of those major chains combined and so it's we really are the backbone of healthcare and i think that that's really where i see the opportunity is that you know a lot of people talk about pharmacies as health destination places. Well, most of us aren't offering those services. I mean, let's be honest, most of us aren't that healthcare destination. We are a dispensing destination. And that is really what limits a lot of us in our profitability and in our
0: pharmacies. On your LinkedIn, you may not even know this, but one of the people that you follow on there is Mark Cuban. And I've been watching a lot of uh, Shark Tank for some reason. You know how you get into those habits? Like for a while I was watching. Pawn, what's that called? Pawn Stars? Pawn Stars, Pawn Stars. <laughs> I was watching Pawn Stars and I do it on online because I don't like to see the commercials on yeah. TV. And then somehow it went from Pawn Stars for a few days over to Shark Tank. But Mark Cuban, he was getting after at least one company I saw because he said, you're not selling. You've got your marketing set up, you've got your ideas set up, You've got your executive set up and you even have distribution set up, but you're not selling yet. And basically it's like for a pharmacist to make it these days until they go out and sell, they're not there yet. And I suck at that because I'm a marketer. I don't consider myself a salesperson. I can sit back and market the store, but I, I'm not a salesperson, but I think you have to be a salesperson these days.
1: I couldn't agree more. I think pharmacy owners need to become BFFs with marketing and selling. And for some reason, and I know, because I think many of us think of like used car salesmen or something like that, but when you say selling, it just, people kind of cringe like, oh, I don't want to have to go sell in it. And I think it's implied that you're somehow forcing something on someone that they really don't need or want. And that couldn't be further from the truth, especially when it comes to independent pharmacies. You have the opportunity to provide such unique services and solve problems in such unique way for your patients that selling them on it is really doing them a service. You're actually doing them an injustice by not doing that. And I think we all need to get very comfortable with marketing terminology, selling terminology, Technology, um, probably read some books listen to some podcasts you know all of those different things to brush up on those skills and it's okay if you as the pharmacist and the pharmacy owner don't have those skills I often say pharmacists are the worst marketers and sellers out there because our the, the attitude and kind of the personality you need to succeed at those don't tend to lend to the type of people that go into pharmacy so it's okay so now you need to know go out and hire those people and then you need to know how to manage them and pay them and all those other kinds of things so it certainly brings in um, additional things that you need to be concerned about. But absolutely, if you you could have all the profitable strategies in the world and yet if you don't implement them, if you don't tell people about them and you don't get them to actually buy, then it doesn't really matter.
0: Lisa, you're lucky you're in pharmacy because with your skills and your personality, not that you wouldn't stick out in any other industry, but in pharmacy, You shine because so many people don't want to do the stuff that you're doing. You know, if you were a real estate agent or I'm trying to think of something else that the average person you think is more gregarious and things like that. But pharmacy is a great place for people like you to shine.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I do get really passionate about telling pharmacy owners about new things that can help them and you know frankly a lot of people don't know this about me unless you actually really really know me but I'm actually very introverted and don't really like talking to people but for some reason I get that spark in me when it comes to pharmacy owners to really help them learn new skills um, you know just I wrote a blog a couple of weeks ago about how to have an unlimited marketing budget and I had a couple of people reach out to me that their minds were just blown they had never looked at marketing from that perspective before and all that is is I try to absorb as much information out there. A lot of what I take is from completely different industries, not in healthcare at all, a lot of e-commerce and a lot of other uh, kind of solopreneur types of businesses and bring those lessons back to pharmacy owners because we just haven't had that in our industry, frankly. We haven't had those people to really mentor and learn from when it comes to marketing and selling.
0: When you talk about adopting things from other industries, I had always gotten my head somewhere along the way that if I wasn't doing something unique that I've never seen before, I felt like I was kind of copying. But one time I heard someone say, I forget who it was, but they were saying genius or you know smart thinking is really taking something you've seen from somewhere else and adopting it into your world. Kind of seems like cheating to me, but you said it too, so I guess it's right. <laughs>
1: You know, it's it's funny you bring that up because I actually feel that's exactly what I do. I watch a lot of other super successful people that are in completely different industries and I try to bring those exact strategies and those exact lessons to pharmacy owners. But honestly, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, gosh, we've we've all done it before. There's there's no special secret sauce that I do or any of these other, you know, executives or gurus or anything you want to call it. Really, it's it's all just recycling of information. And it's just our industry has so been thought as pharmacist first, like I'm a pharmacist first and business owner second, that a lot of these business strategies haven't really been adopted in the
0: industry. How old are you, Lisa?
1: I am 42, almost 43.
0: <laughs> all right. So I stopped reading a lot of business books when I got to 40, because I figure that As an American male, I'm going to die when I'm 80. Probably a few years before that, but I'm an optimistic guy, I guess, with my life. But, you know, you'd read these books, and to your point about hearing the same things, you hear a lot of the same stuff, and there's only so much out there for business. So I figure I soaked it up for 40 years, and now I'm putting it out. But there's not a lot new under the sun, but they're repackaging it Mm. and You giving it to people when they're ready, and ready might be believing in themselves and ready to absorb that. So I think one thing you're giving is you're repackaging it, but it's hope that you're giving to people.
1: Absolutely. And the repackaging is very important because you can hear things. And if they're just not in the right way, you don't vibe with the person, there could be lots of reasons why it doesn't sink in. Uh, But you listen to it in another way or from somebody else and it blows your mind. And one of my favorite books is The Magic of Thinking Big. Hmm. And it's an old book. It was originally written, I don't know, I think like in the 50s or something like that. I mean, it's been around for forever. Um, And many people have made many iterations off of it. But if you listen to it, it's almost like a living book, whatever world or happening or problems yeah. you're in, I get different things from it every yeah. time I go through and I reread it. And so you're, you're absolutely right. The, the listener has to be ready and the person delivering the message has to be a good fit for the listener.
0: You do a great job in your blog. I like your blog.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I work hard on it. I, yeah, <laughs> I can tell. It's, it's, I, I put a lot of effort into it because people, I, what keeps me going is there's positive messages. That, that you know pharmacy owners messaged me and said I never thought about it that way or I finally had my aha or I finally understand you know something and it's and it that's what keeps me going you know it's it really is I get my dopamine hit you know you get that little like buzz whenever I help somebody else accomplish something like I don't even get excited over my own accomplishments I get really super excited when somebody else has accomplished something
0: Lisa I know that all your clients are perfect but let's imagine that one of them wasn't what kind of personality would really grate on you
1: yeah so the thing that gets under my skin about pharmacy owners is we love to complain like we love to wallow and put on our coat of complaining about all the things that we cannot change and that's fine you need you need to have those sessions every once in a while but you know, then it's time to pull your big girl panties up and then go do something about something you can control. And so for me, the people that aren't willing to go take control of the things they can control, so then you can overcome the things that you can't control, those are the ones that I just kind of like, well, I there's not really I can do because if you're not willing to go focus on the revenue streams that you can get a hold of because you just wanna complain about DIR fees or complain about the recent audit or something like that. Um, you've, You've got to learn to get past the things that you can't control and focus on the things that you can control. You know, one of my pharmacies, I just had a big Optum audit and it was a terrible, terrible audit, made no sense. Luckily, uh, we were able to get it remedied, but it went from $62,000 that we were fighting for about three months to all of a sudden we got an email to the right person and it got knocked down to $400 in, you know, an hour. And, you know, I, I could have looked at that very negatively, but I kept like, I know we're right. And we're going to keep going. So I'm just going to keep emailing new people. And that was like a a small little thing. But it really becomes a global problem with pharmacy owners is we love to complain about all the bad things because good Lord knows there are plenty of bad things happening in our industry. Um, But there's also a lot of good. And I think we need to get better at focusing on the good and moving towards that.
0: When I was growing up, it always just seemed normal for me to talk about other people like behind their back and just say nasty things about people. And it didn't go along with my faith or being a nice person. But I just said, that's what you do. You talk about people nastily behind their back. Everybody does that. And it wasn't till like four years ago when finally life hit me and I realized, wait a minute, that's not normal. I mean, I shouldn't be doing that. And it changed me, it changed me to being more honest and truthful and not having a need for some of that and taking life by the horns and all that kind of stuff. But it was a whole paradigm shift and it wasn't just like stopping, it was like a big paradigm shift. And we pharmacists, and I take pleasure in that here because if I have an hour show, I can bitch for 30 minutes and have some answers for 30 minutes. So I get to do that, that's my right. But I'm guilty. I mean, I I sit there and bitch all day at the pharmacy. And I suppose, if nothing else, at least know you should be wearing two hats. Know that you should wear a bitch hat and a let's be positive and make some action. But a lot of people, they don't know where that hat is anymore, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I really didn't gain that kind of awareness until I went through some deep leadership training. Uh, cannot recommend Kelly Babcock and Terry Norvell anymore. I'm probably one of their biggest fans, but going through their leadership training and really understanding that almost that neuroscience of of kind of how you think, I had some big aha moments there, and I've become a much more positive person in that in in that sense. Where you said like you know you put on your hats, and it's okay to have those grumbling sessions. We all need to vent. You all need to get rid of that that energy, but you've got to follow that up with action towards creating a better life, creating a better pharmacy, creating a better staff. Uh, You know, at the beginning I was telling you that I was having an issue with one of my picks at one of my pharmacies. And I could grumble about that, and I did for a few minutes, got a little angry, but I've already sent out messages. I've already posted on, you know, some job boards. I've already done some other things that is working towards a positive resolution in that. And I probably would not have pivoted so quickly, you know, ten years ago. It, it would have, it would have ruined my day. It would have really brought me down.
0: When you signed up for that leadership, did you know what your downfalls were? Did you know your negative things? Or did you go in and say, Oh, I didn't realize I was negative And here's what I can do with it. Like, I know that I'm crazy sometimes, and I'm negative, and I'm mean, and, and I'm lazy, and all the things I can do. It's like, yeah, I'll sign up so I can learn the difference. But did you know going in that that was a downfall of you like a negative slant?
1: I certainly didn't have the same awareness. I might've had some assumptions about some things because I'm a pretty straightforward person, probably a little too aggressive sometimes. Um, So I knew I certainly had some rough edges, you might say, Uh, but I didn't have this awareness, that inner saboteur and that inner negativity that we all just battle with. I really truly didn't realize where some of that came from. And even my drive, you know, I have a huge work drive. Like I love to achieve. People always say, I can't believe how much you can get done. You know, I, I run Diversify, I do a bunch of consulting, I'm a mom of four and I, I do all this stuff. And it, I, you know, some people tell me I make it look easy even though I, I know I bust my butt. Um, but it also, that comes from my also insecurity. the the insecurity that I have of, are people going to like me? Are they going to appreciate me? And so I compensate that by overworking. And, you know, so the leadership training in this particular leadership training was a really kind of neuroscience type of way. And I really just resonated with that because when I've, I've done some other things where they talk about meditation and that kind of stuff. And I just, I just never grabbed onto that. I just never, never did. I wanted to, but I just never did. And so this really kind of science-based leadership development, I just man, I just, it just spoke to me. And so I really did have some breakthroughs kind of there that not only helped me in the position I was there at the time, but has changed me now. And I think has made me a better business owner now than I could have ever been without that.
0: Have you solved for your outside validation and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, overachiever?
1: Yeah, no. (laughs) I'd, I'd like to say I'm so mature and I've evolved and all that kind of stuff, but no. Mm-mm. That's that's where I get my, like I said, my dopamine. Like I, I just understand that about myself now, from. which just helps me just to be aware, I think. But yeah, I'm, I'm 42 years old. I'm not changing.
0: <laughs> You're not going to change now. Well, and it keeps you right on the line between, I don't know, outside approval and your own approval and so on. It's right that kind of cool line, the yin-yang of how you operate.
1: Yeah. Cause I can put out good material and not try very hard, but then I wouldn't I would know that I didn't try very hard, you know? So you're absolutely right. It's that internal approval, external approval. Um, there's, there's definitely both levers in there for sure.
0: That's funny about us. How like you'll paint a room and you'll know there's a thing behind the desk, you know, no one's going to see it, but you just don't feel complete about it though. And there's a lot of things like that. You've got to, The saying of good enough or you don't have to be perfect kind of thing, but it's hard to do sometimes. You just don't feel right.
1: Yeah. uh, One lesson that I have learned. So I am a a recovering perfectionist. When I was eight years old, I had stress ulcers because I was worried about being perfect at eight. Mm. Like it's in me. It's just in my DNA. However, I have gotten much better about done is better than perfect and really understanding the difference of priority. And this is where I think pharmacy owners could really use uh, as a whole, a whole bunch of help in this area is that not everything has to be perfect. When you're filling prescriptions, you wanna be perfect. When you're doing marketing, you don't need to be perfect. Like it really is okay for trial and error. And that's when we talked about hats earlier. When you have your pharmacist bench hat on, you strive for perfection, all of that learning from school and everything and errors and all of that comes into play and and you should be striving for perfection. However, when you take your pharmacist hat off and you put on your pharmacy owner hat, you cannot bring that bias and that thinking into pharmacy ownership because you will never grow. In business, you grow by doing. And when you do, sometimes you fail and sometimes you succeed. And if you're so afraid of failing that you never do, then your business never grows, you become stagnant, and eventually you'll fade away. You'll either fade away slowly and sell your pharmacy and you know maybe go to work for somewhere else, or you'll fade away in a glory of flames <laughs> and you know have a done of debt, you know, in front of you. And so you really do have to learn sometimes that done is better than perfect, and you have to understand how to differentiate those things. Because if I obsessed over every blog or every email that I send out for a level of perfection. That is really in my DNA. I would never send one out. I would always yeah. find a better word. I would always find a punctuation or something like that that is wrong. And so we really do need to just separate out those tasks. We cannot perform at that super high level in every area of our of our uh, being. And we have to have some grace for ourselves. I think that's something that has come with age is forgiving myself on the littler things. You know. Perfect, actually, example. So a couple weeks ago, I sent out an email. It was actually on my how to have an unlimited marketing budget. And I had budget misspelled. I had swapped <laughs> the D and G. I, I never noticed. Somebody emailed me and was like, hey, you know, in circle, because I think the week before I had talked about being a perfectionist. And so they, they kind of, and I said, you know, I'm much better at that. Had it been five years ago, or, or longer that would have ruined my day I mean ruined my day I would have been upset I would not have been able to do anything else I probably would have been a terrible mom when my kids came home a terrible wife to my husband it literally would have ruined my day and I would have ruminated about it of all the other things that I probably did wrong too and yeah. instead where at least where I'm at now is I laughed about it and we had some little banter going back and forth in our emails and I forgot about it and, and, and I got over it and life went on. And I know that's something small and silly, a, a typo in an email, but it really is a, a symptom of the larger disease of perfectionism that I think exists in pharmacy owners. And that perfectionism holds us back from trying new things, hold us back from profitable revenue streams. So many pharmacy owners have missed out on COVID testing and COVID vaccines and, and a lot of revenue generated around COVID because they were afraid of not reporting something right or not doing something yeah. right, and so they just let that money walk on by. And I just I feel very sad that that's what holds a lot of a lot of pharmacy owners back.
0: The best thing for procrastination that ever came along was Christmas, because okay, I love women. I'm married to one. I've got five daughters and a female black lab. I love women but if they had their way i think christmas would keep moving back you know it would be in february then march then june there's nothing better than just having that date of christmas on december 25th come hell or high water it's there it's a great thing for perfectionism
1: yes absolutely um give yourself a deadline is the best way like I have to have my newsletter out every Friday, so like mm. <laughs> whether whether I like it or not, that thing's got to go. And so having some of those things, and so when you're looking at your to-do list, I mean, we're sitting here early in 2022, um, still plenty of time to plan for an awesome 22. But don't just have a goal and let it hang out there because you're you're never going to attack it. You're never going to be done with it. You got it. You got to put a finite uh, ending to that goal. You know what yeah. does success look like? What what is making progress look like? And I think once you do that, that almost gets our um, our student instinct because we're all students. So, you know, obviously, those of us that were pharmacists and pharmacy owners, we all had those deadlines. We all had the final exam. And so we're used to operating up against a deadline. And I think you hit it spot on. And so when you make yourself a goal or you make yourself a plan, put that, even if it's a created deadline, put that on there. And we all are kind of conditioned from our years in school to kind of work up to that deadline.
0: You mentioned a bit ago, you said you do some consulting and then you do the diversify RX. Now, in my mind, from what I've seen online, I kind of think, hey, that is kind of consulting because you're not necessarily selling, you know, stuff out of your trunk as far as merchandise. So, Tell me about that. Where's the divide? How do you see those differently from being consulting one and then the diversify RX?
1: The reason I clarified it that way is I do some consulting for companies, for corporations, not necessarily in pharma. Uh, like for example, I helped a solar company with their marketing, and you know, help helped them get on you know, get going. So I, I sometimes pick up other gigs, as I call them, that are, you know, outside of pharmacy, not really in pharmacy owners. And I love actually doing those because they make sure that I kind of stay sharp and I'm, I'm yeah. kind of in, ingrained in what other people are doing and other companies are are working on. So X for me is everything to do with pharmacies and pharmacy owners. So I have Diversifier I have the Pharmacy Profit Summit, which is our in-person conference, um, you know, that DiversifyRx puts on. And then I, I kind of put consulting in another bucket, which is kind of my corporate consulting. So
0: tell me about that corporate consulting. How do you land those?
1: People just reach out to me. It's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's that LinkedIn profile that, that that, uh, people just see me and they're, and then I know a lot of people, you know, you just, even in this industry, I've been referred to people outside of this industry from how I've helped pharmacies. So there's a ton of companies in this industry that I have quote unquote, probably you could say consulted for. I don't charge for a, a lot of the things that I've done in the past for, maybe there was conflict of interest or something like that, but mm. I just, I love helping. So I've helped a ton of companies. And you know, when somebody else is having a similar problem, you know, my name gets circulated. And so it's it's a, it's that very organic, very by referral. Um, and I think that That's actually a lot of marketing that pharmacy owners don't take advantage of because when you start to put content out there and you start to put value out there, people gain trust in you before they even know you. And so, a lot of times, people will hear my name, they'll go to my profile, they'll go to my social media pages, they'll go to websites. I do a ton of video. It's like people know me before they even get on the phone
0: with me. And your comment there, you were saying that pharmacists don't do that enough just to let people know them before they want to serve them
1: yeah absolutely and you have so much knowledge i tell pharmacists just go on facebook live
0: are you pointing to me or do you mean in general because i'm gonna to have to argue if you say i do
1: <laughs> no i i guarantee you you there's something that you could talk to patients about and, t- and teach them i guarantee there is but no i'm i'm talking yeah. about the global we um or the global you um because we all have value whether it's a supplement i mean even if it's just your a b c d Supplements? Could you go on Facebook Live twice a week and talk about why somebody might need a vitamin A or why somebody yeah. might need a vitamin C? Absolutely, you could. And then guess what? People are going to come in. They're going to talk to you about those supplements. They're probably going to buy those supplements. They're going to ask you about other supplements. And next thing you know, you're a supplement expert, um, quote unquote, because we as pharmacists don't see ourselves as experts, because we, our level of expert is so high. Mm. And I like to tell pharmacy owners, you're the expert in the conversation when you know somebody, when you know more than the person you're talking to.
0: Yeah, we put expert way up there. Yeah. We put them up there as like the author of the best book we read on something. Exactly. And it's like, no, you just have to know more than the next person.
1: Yep, exactly. And so we as pharmacists, the, have a global amount of information that could really help our patient I means how many of us could help patients lose weight if that's what we really wanted to do we absolutely right. know that information and what's really cool is we know the prescriptions and we know what their other prescriptions are causing and maybe their other prescriptions are actually causing their weight gain like it becomes this really awesome snowball effect when you just start talking to your community and start talking about the things that are passionate to you about that that organic marketing really starts to paint you as the expert
0: If you were to put adjectives into DiversifyRx, is it hope, is it confidence? What else is there, those adjectives that you're really selling to people more than just let's say knowledge?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think as fundamentally DiversifyRx is a very ambitious company because I'm a very ambitious person. I mean, I really do mean our mission is to save every independent pharmacy. If you wanna stay open, I want to give you the strategy and tools that you need to. Um, I think Diversifier X is discerning, um, hmm. and that's something that I have developed over many years. I've made probably every mistake you can make in pharmacy. I've made all the big ones. Gotcha.
0: So you're giving confidence in that discernment you already went through.
1: Yes, um, I've and I and the thing is that my my past lives and my current life give me access to a lot of companies. Um, hmm and a lot of pharmacy owners. So I hear feedback on companies. I kind of am able to peek behind the curtains and see what companies are doing. I have learned how to spot the good from the bad, so to speak. And I think that's a lot of a big fear that many pharmacy owners have is, man, I just talked to this sales guy and he just told me all this great stuff but are they really gonna be able to do it? Or are they just gonna take my money like the last guy did? Mm-hmm. And so I think discernment is a, really, is a really big part of I think of the service that we provide is that I sift through all of that stuff, sift through the strategies. I don't pick the best for you and you individually or you as any pharmacy owner. I feel like really I was put on this earth to create a buffet, a buffet of strategies, a buffet of companies that are all kind of vetted and kind of get my stamp of approval because what's going to fit your pharmacy, Mike, is completely different than what might fit my pharmacy. And I have three pharmacies and I can tell you that the strategies are different in them. We don't run them all the same because they have different demographics, they have different staff and there's different circumstances. Um, I really love the hope that you give and I'm glad that you've picked up on that because Uh, that that means a lot to me just just personally that I'm able to give those pharmacy owners hope Um, and I think the other one is hopefully a little bit of uh, brazenness uh, boldness might be
0: more than even confidence more like let's go get them kind of stuff. Yes,
1: exactly. So there's a reason I use the term pharmacy badass. um, And my digital membership is called pharmacy badass university is I think it's when you when you wear that title. You, you immediately get an emotion, you get a feeling, you get almost a visual picture of a badass. And to me, an average pharmacy owner is not going to last long in this day and age anymore. It just, you can't be average and win. It's just, it's just not possible. And you really, you need to become something more. And that something more really truly is a pharmacy badass, somebody who you are going to go after your goals. You're not going to let anybody stop you. You're not going to let anybody derail you. And you are on a mission that you are going to accomplish. And to me, that boldness hopefully I'm imparting into pharmacy owners that gravitate towards that. So I think I think that's a good rounding. I hope discernment and and uh, boldness. Uh, if, if I could give that gift to every pharmacy owner out there, that would be a pretty good world.
0: How important is your ownership either externally or internally to you right now? Like let's say I said, Lisa, here's a ton of money. I'm buying those three pharmacies out would that not make you as strong of a leader of diversify Rx for people seeing you no longer own a pharmacy or might it also not let you perform as well because you don't feel like you're in the trenches. So how important is that ownership still?
1: You know, were you in my brain earlier this week because I was actually just having that conversation. Um, cause, um, I, in the past, it would have meant a really a lot like that label, that label as pharmacy owner was just very important for my personal identity. When, when there was a time in my life when I didn't own a pharmacy, I felt a little lost um, and felt a little, it was just very awkward not having that label. Um, as I've matured, I really have come to understand that I don't need that label anymore. It's nice to have, you know, when I see the prime therapeutic contracts come in, then I can bitch about something super relevant <laughs> to, yeah, the, to right. the industry. But, I, you know, for my own personal confidence, I don't think I need those pharmacy ownership labels anymore like I did in the past. They were kind of a crutch for me. Um, hmm. And uh, I think going forward, I have enough exposure to the industry and I have enough um, close relationships with pharmacy owners. I mean, gosh, some pharmacy owners are my, you know, best friends out there. Um that I, I could go on very successfully with without that. Um, how people might look at that, the fact that I've owned pharmacies for so long and in and mm-hmm. out, I, I don't think I really need it for credibility. It's certainly, you know, when I'm talking to them it gives me relevance because I can complain about that contract that just came out. But frankly, I. It's not absolutely necessary. So if you would ask me that question a year ago, I would have answered completely differently. But I think I'm getting to the point where I I'm, I'm can shed that label and still feel really good about myself and still feel really confident. But it's, that hasn't always been the case.
0: I find at this stage in my life, and let's say I'm anywhere from a year to eight years away from selling, at this stage in my life, you'd be as valuable if you said, I sold three pharmacies one five years ago here's what i learned one two years ago here's what i learned and i sold one six months ago here's what i learned i mean because now i'm not looking for an owner anymore i'm looking for a a seller and what does that mean and what is life and that kind of stuff
1: so as i said before i've done just about everything wrong you can do in pharmacy and i've done just about everything right you know mm-hmm. i've gotten in trouble with the board of pharmacy and i've also made millions of dollars you know like it's the the most both extremes, I've, I've done it all. And I now actually own that past, you know, it used to be very shameful of, of the things I did wrong, because again, we're perfectionists Mm -hmm. and we don't like doing things wrong, much less doing bad things on a big scale. And so, uh, but I just, there, I think as I grow and mature and, uh, I, I, I learn how to deal with my own insecurities better that we can kind of get past that. But I've sold a pharmacy before, you know, I've, yeah. I've been there, done that. Um, I've bought pharmacies from other people. So obviously been on the other side of, of the selling process, you know, so I think I I've learned to love my really crazy history in pharmacy. You know, I've, I've worked for big companies, worked for small companies in pharma, done the entrepreneur thing and actually done the entrepreneur thing and lots of other Uh, businesses. My husband and I are just serial entrepreneurs. And all of that just creates experience. And I love bringing that experience to pharmacy owners. So I almost look at it as an advantage now. Like when I have an experience, like my last pharmacy in Texas was a horrible experience. I, I definitely have some PTSD after it. The board of pharmacy did some things wrong and all kinds of stuff. I now can use that experience to help another pharmacy owner. And so that's the way I look at it now. I don't look at it as good or bad black and white, like I did before. And I, that that's, that's the big change that has happened in the past few years.
0: Do you ever get anxiety or have you had anxiety in your life?
1: Yes, I have. And it takes a lot for me to get there. Um, because I can, I can just, I handle a lot of stuff really well. Um, I mean, even right now, like I, I've got a lot of things, maybe not all good happening. Um, I don't get anxious over that, but there there's, been just a few times in my life. Um, there's been two things that have been major enough that really has caused me anxiety, but, um, I try to take good care of myself, um, in the sense of like vitamins and, you know, supplements and that kind of stuff, but, um, I'm a doer. So I, I just, that's when I, when I'm, Probably getting anxious and probably a a symptom of my own anxiety is I do more stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I cross more things off the list and I do more things because then that gets me out ahead and I alleviate that feeling. So I don't suffer from anxiety in a lot of the traditional sense, but I certainly am not unaffected by things when they have uh, high pressure and high consequences.
0: When I was a kid, I always thought of mental illness as like, (laughs) you'd have to be like certifiably crazy. And as you get older... You put enough stress on someone sometime and, you know, they can pop at a seam, whether it's depression or anxiety. And But here's the thing that you've got going, Lisa, you could put you up against somebody else and your anxiety and depression would come from not having something to do, you know, or someone else would be the opposite of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important. You know, that's the double edged sword of social media is, you know, I get to compare my best day with somebody's worst day, or yeah. I get to compare somebody's best day to my worst day. And we we're all making these comparisons, whether we are consciously aware of it or not. And there's so many people that I follow both in and out of pharmacy, and they have great successful wins. And, and you and I'm happy for them. and I, And I love them. And they're near and dear to me. But then I also think, Oh, I'm, I'm hardly doing anything. I'm just over here building my website and I haven't launched and I haven't made any sales. And, you know, you start to get down on yourself and and you, all of us are at risk for that. We're human. We, we, we naturally like to, I think, compare ourselves to others. um, It's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing because yeah, when you're looking at somebody's awesomeness, something that they just achieved, that's probably their their highlight of their day, highlight of their year, yes. highlight of their decade, and yet you don't know what they went through to get there. You don't know how many nights they cried themselves to sleep, or how many times they went bankrupt, or you know you don't know all of the pain. And so that's what where social media gets a little funky is that you don't see the behind the scenes, no. and yet for our own life we do. And so you're always comparing, oh, they, they did that so easy. They didn't have to do any of that. And here, here I am working. And so that's where that comparison, I think pharmacy owners definitely fall into that too. When they look at somebody's success, For oh, sure. they opened another store, they bought another store. Um, life just comes easy to them. And they compare it against, a, I can't even keep a, a, a pharmacist on staff, you know, and you're comparing the best to the worst. And it takes a toll.
0: I have four older brothers and we all swam on the high school swim team. So I swam like four years after the last brother had gone through. And I was like a second and a half behind them in certain races, but I was always comparing. Nobody else was, you know, my dad or none of them. Well, I don't even knew if they knew I was on the swim team, but <laughs> <laughs> none of them compared. I was to myself and it was so pleasurable. When I got out of high school, that's when triathlons had just started. So I was doing these sprint triathlons, you know, because I was a swimmer and stuff like that. And that was so cool because, and this is a good psychological lesson. It was so cool because I was comparing myself to myself. And that's really all we can do. We can compare ourselves to who we were yesterday, who we were this morning. Yeah, that social media doesn't help. You only can compare yourself to yourself.
1: That's why I'm such a big fan of just that continuous improvement, that whole methodology of just look for 1% improvement, just improve something somewhere by a tiny little percentage. And you do that every day. And at the end of the year, you're gonna be in a whole brand new place that you couldn't have even anticipated it being in because as long as you just focus on improving something, like just always be continuous improving. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that lesson. And um, that's, what, that's what I've chosen to really grab onto is just to be better than yesterday. And I'm a big KPI nerd. Uh, if, mm-hmm. any, if any of you listening follow me, I love KPIs. I love pharmacy benchmarks. And there are some benchmarks where There is an industry benchmark and you want to compare yourself to that benchmark because it's going to help you run your business better. But so many of the other KPIs, there isn't a benchmark and you really shouldn't use one. You really should be using your own. Mm -hmm. The whole concept is just to improve where you're at and not about comparing yourself to others. And so a lot of times people say, well, what should I be? You should just be better than you were last month. That's what you should be.
0: We talked about this, about pharmacists being too much perfectionists. Are there other little intricacies of someone's personality that you see? And I don't I don't mean just to focus on the negative, but I kind of like focusing on the negative. I can then see where the problems are, you know, yep, because we can absolutely. always sit and pat ourselves in the back. But what other intricacies do you see from pharmacists maybe in their personality, or maybe on a team, or maybe something during their day or week that they're not? progressing or maybe not latching on to your diversification of profit. Already we talked about perfectionists. Is there anything else that it's like, get over this hump? What are those little humps?
1: Yeah, I think control, control freaks, not wanting to delegate, um, I don't know how many times I've talked to a pharmacy owner about their books, about financials. Oh, no, I don't have a bookkeeper. I like to do my financials. Great. When's your last financial? Oh, it's been six months. I'm six months behind. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, well, then it's really not helping you. Yeah. Um, but that, that ability to delegate and give control over to somebody else, um, that is really, really hard for a lot of pharmacists and really does hold them back because you cannot do everything. You cannot be the one in charge of every single thing and be able to be sane. Right, (laughs) exactly. I think giving over that hump and delegating and outsourcing, uh, you know, one of the topics that I covered at last year's Pharmacy Profit Summit was hiring a VA, hiring a virtual assistant. So I brought in an expert virtual assistant person and really walked through with pharmacy owners on like hiring a VA and outsourcing some of that. Some of those people at the summit grabbed onto that, and actually some of them have hired two or three VAs now and doing a whole bunch of stuff because they learned, once you almost like once you do it once, getting rid of that control and getting that stuff off your plate actually becomes a little addicting because it's it, it's like you're cloning yourself because you're turning in all these other people and doing all this work that normally you would have had to done. And yeah. so I think delegating is a really important lesson for pharmacy owners to, to learn.
0: It's one thing if you, like something and you realize that you like it and you say you like it and everybody would agree that you're not the right person for it but you gladly take it because you like it maybe a pharmacist just likes to windex the back door they get to look outside it's relaxing to them it's three minutes a day they do something like that But admit it. Say, you know, I could have anybody do this. I'm not doing it for control. It's just something that's kind of relaxing to me. It's like instead of a smoke break, you get to have a Windex (laughs) break, you know, but admit it at least and don't do it like you're a martyr for it because someone else should be doing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's where I've really started to learn your zone of genius. You know, things you're really good at and things you enjoy. By golly, go do them. Like, and even for me in my pharmacy, in my very first pharmacy that I owned, I did the bookkeeping for years and I didn't do it because I was being cheap or I didn't want to hire yeah. somebody. I'm a nerd and I love numbers. I yeah. loved digging into them. But there actually became a time where I was like, okay, even though I love it and even though I'm good at this, there's other things that only I can be doing. So I've, I've got to free myself up some time. And so whenever you outsource something, all you're doing is buying back your time. And then there's things that you're good at that you don't like you know, and then there's things that you're not good at and you don't like, you know, and it's like, those are the first things to get rid of.
0: I have a lot of stuff in that category.
1: <laughs> most of us do. And <laughs> most of us do. And if you actually write it down and there's like some exercises you can do, like I said, we went through this at the pharmacy profit summit and everybody had a long list. And I guarantee you, Mike, you're not alone. Everybody's longest list was things that I don't like to do. And I'm not really good at it. <laughs>
0: I saw your superman thing was that fiverr
1: no that's actually uh videos it's a program called
0: videos you did that yourself uh-huh yeah by your logo on there uh-huh for those listening fiverr is a online source
1: freelance like a freelance yeah, site. freelance <laughs>
0: can do some of that stuff and it started like at five dollars and they do stuff like that but i was talking about a little video and so you just add your logo to that i have to look into that
1: yeah videos so it's v-i-d-d-y-o-z-e
0: videos that's too much for this old guy to remember
1: i know i know I'll, I'll email it to you uh but no it's a great little program that me and my husband have had for forever but they had these little video snippets and you just put your logo in there and you you, you can do some things and it comes out really awesome but yeah our pharmacy badass university promo video is what it was
0: You mentioned VAs, virtual assistants. What do these pharmacies, what have they had luck with, with the person that hired three of these?
1: Yeah. So, um, sometimes it's emails, just email management, uh, going through there. That's, that's a lot of it. Uh, travel is another, is another big one. Um, a lot of them actually outsource some of the HR duties. So like creating schedules and, uh, things like that, a lot, a lot of paperwork. So, uh, when like they hire a new employee, it's like, okay, well this employee, and they, you create a system, you do it once. Here's what a new employee, all the paperwork that needs to do. So instead of me interacting with the new employee saying, fill out all this paperwork and then me having to track that, I just tell the VA, I've hired a new person and they know now exactly to go and get all the paperwork and do all of that. So it's a lot of generally admin type of stuff, um, obviously, um, because you got to be able to do it remote and whatnot. But once your brain starts going down that path, you start thinking of all the other things like, huh, I wonder if I can have them do this. And then and then like, so like when I plan events, so I have a VA in my, in my company. And when I plan events, like we're doing drinks, desserts, and drugs coming up in, in February next month. And I have a VA do a lot of that event planning. They contact, you know, because they're in different cities each time. So I have them contact. I have them look up venues. And, you know, so it, once your brain starts going, you actually start realizing how much of your day you spend doing tasks that really, frankly, someone else can do.
0: Kind of reminds me of like, as a kid, when I would get a new wallet, when I was like seven, you got this wallet and you don't have anything to put in it. So you'll walk around and you put in some playing cards and some <laughs> pictures of people in the Sears catalog, you know, make it look like that's part of your family and stuff. You, you've got a spot finally. And now your mind opens up and does some of that stuff.
1: Yeah. So the first time when, the, when I first hired a VA, I didn't know what the heck I was going to have him do. I, I thought I had an idea and I was like, okay, I, here's here's these two tasks but man the floodgates started opening and so now now he has a continuous task uh you know there's there's probably 10 to 15 long that's always there that i am just constantly handing off to him and what's the really great thing is is just like any relationship as you start to work together more you start to you know figure each other out so um it's it's been amazing
0: someone calls you up like I don't even know the shows anymore. Like twenty, twenty or sixty minutes. Let's say sixty minutes. You remember that sixty minutes, right? Uh You're you're old enough. I'm old enough.
1: I'm old enough to remember Barbara Walters. Even
0: (laughs) they call you up and you're so successful and they want to do a show on you. Okay, they're gonna follow you around like a day in the life of Lisa or or a week in the life. And let's say you really want to show off. You want to show the world that you've got it all in order, you know, and and you're in charge of this kind of stuff. What kind of things would they follow you on? Would they be going down to this uh, drinks and drugs? And would they be with you in the morning as you're plowing through stuff? Would they be with you when you're on stage talking to people? What are the cool things that you would like the 60-minute audience to like look at you and say, that's cool.
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because most of my day-to-day is really boring and I sit and talk on the phone and answer emails (laughs) all day, but we do do some really fun stuff. I think the in-person events certainly are dynamic. Um, The Drinks, Desserts and Drugs is is a profitable networking event. Um, I have one at each of the major trade shows. We just kind of find a place to uh, you know, have an event at night and it's we offer drinks, we offer desserts and we talk about drugs and profits and all kinds of fun stuff. Those are really fun, those are really dynamic. Certainly the Pharmacy Profit Summit where it's a two-day conference, a very workshoppy kind of event where you're not just going there and just listening to a boring speaker up on a podium. Um, you're actually doing some of the work and, and kind of getting down in the weeds. Those are fun. That's live? Yeah, that's live. Live and in Dallas, we have it in Dallas. And uh, that is certainly fun because I think that's where we get lots of just organic, really like humbling and opening conversations when you have those intimate in-person conversations that you get to feel the energy of the room. But frankly, most of the time, it's, um, I spend a lot of time on the phone, (laughs) whether talking with the company. I do get to talk to a lot of really cool companies. I, I'm often sometimes the first person that they're showing a demo to. Like, Hey, I've been working on this thing for six months. I'm finally ready to show it to somebody. I want to show it to you first and get your feedback. So I, I get a lot of like first look, uh, stuff from some companies out there. So. Um, That's really cool and interesting. Maybe just just pharma nerds, but (laughs) I think so. And then I, I love talking to pharmacy owners in that sense of helping them solve a problem. When somebody calls up and says, hey, I need to hire a staff but they want 20 bucks an hour and my regular tech is only making 15 what do I do like solving that for them is is always really super fun but um that's a really good question because when you're kind of an information specialist I don't have any sexy products to sell uh for sure but uh um that that's a really cool question because uh it's it's the day in and out and I think what you have to learn as an an entrepreneur, no matter what business you're learning, is you have to fall in love with the process. Yeah. And I can get excited and I can smile and I can get glowy talking about my day because I really truly am in love with the process. Probably not many people on the outside would find it very glamorous, but I have definitely fallen in love with the process and the day in and day out work that's required in order to produce the results. Granted, love, love the results, very results oriented, but I've also learned to love the process.
0: What does life look like for you that week, for example? What does that look like in 20 years when you're, what, 62? Yeah. Are you ever hanging this up? Are you ever like, I'm working till I'm in the grave because I enjoy it so much? Are you going part-time? What's that look like in 20 years?
1: Yeah, so in 20 years, my kids will be ranging in age from 35 to 24, so might still have some people in college, but I think for me... I will always be doing something to help pharmacy owners. Now, I think the big difference is I do believe in financial independence of, you know, having the ability to walk away and not have to work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I truly do enjoy my work so much that, I mean, the whole reason that DiversifyRx started is when I was looking at leaving my company that I was with for many years, I was looking at jobs outside of pharma and the only anxiety I had about that was, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to help pharmacy owners. Mm. And so I really started Rx as kind of this side gig therapy um, that I would still be connected to pharmacy owners in some way. And so um, being there, and I when I sold my pharmacy, I kind of semi-retired. I could have, I mean, financially I was retired, but again, I was drawn back into helping pharmacy owners. And so I think in the future, 20 years, 30 years from now, I still see myself, I, I see myself like Bruce Nealon, you know, somebody yeah. who's just like, has his fingers in it, likes to keep up, likes to connect people, likes to make an impact. Um, but you're not necessarily doing it for the money. You're not doing it necessarily to put food on the table. You're really just doing it because I, I feel like that's what God put me on earth for. And so that's just like what I'm going to be doing is fulfilling that mission. Uh, but hopefully it's from that financial independence standpoint that I don't have to
0: it might be a couple hours poking around the computer a day or something like that and, and yeah, being absolutely. involved, but not, not overworked.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. You want to control, you want to control your day. Yeah. And luckily as an, as an, as an entrepreneur now, I mean, I own pharmacies, but I don't work in the pharmacies. Um, I do get to control my day. You know, I, I have a calendar and I, I get to say no or yes. Um, and that's pretty cool. But I think as the future goes, I will personally be looking for more flexibility, you know, as the kids grow up and maybe, you know, they're into sports, uh, some of them now, and I got some young ones that who knows what they're going to be into as they grow older, but I want to be able to be there for them and have the financial independence that, you know, if they're playing in college that I can travel with them or, you know, whatever that looks like. I got one who wants to be in the Olympics one day. So, you know, of course I would want to go there and do that. So, um, I think it's, I think for me, it's about flexibility.
0: Speaking of flexibility, when are you going to get rid of those damn pharmacies? And I know you don't staff them yourself, but compared to the flexibility with DiversifyRx, that seems like a ball and chain
1: um they sometimes are um let me t- let me tell you i've, I've considered <laughs> this one in texas it's it's definitely been the problem child um and i might i like i said I, I no longer feel like i have to have that label of pharmacy ownership anymore so um if one if the partners like i own all of these pharmacies with different with different ownership groups and so if one of them said hey we'd like to buy you out or we want to sell i wouldn't probably be opposed to that um because it's moving on to the next life and i practice what i preach so as i tell pharmacy owners to diversify i diversify myself so we we invest in movies we invest in other businesses we you know want to diversify into real estate you know there's lots of other things that we want to do as 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 a couple and as a you know looking into our future that it's like okay that time's over with we get our money back Um, hopefully plus some, you know, and, and then you move on to the next thing. And so we're always looking at kind of like those next opportunities of, of what to go. And to me, that's that serial entrepreneurship. That's, that's, luckily, my husband has it too. Otherwise, <laughs> I might cause some problems. But uh, we're both looking for kind of that next thing to conquer. And so um, I no longer feel so yeah, if my partners called me up tomorrow, if somebody listens to this and said, Hey, Lisa, we heard that you might, you know, take for a buyout. I was like, Yeah, let's let's talk about that. I, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed. But um, they, they definitely take up some time. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> I've always said I would never want a partner. And maybe that's when I'm like, really involved. Cause I wouldn't want to bump heads but maybe in your case that's where some partners you know help when you're not right there and it takes a little bit of that stress off I guess
1: yeah it's ha- having partners in any business is tough and and having partners it's not the ideal situation I mean even me I've, I've had to learn how to deal with um, partners because I'm a I'm a pretty aggressive person. I'm, I'm an alpha dog. I like to run things the way that I think that they should be ran. And certainly in a partnership, you, you know, you can't do that. And so there's, there's definitely some different choices that if I had hundred percent control on my pharmacies, we would be doing things differently. Uh, but I don't necessarily always have that, have that control. And so, um, but no, you're absolutely right. Um, I don't ever recommend partners to people <laughs> because they mostly go bad.
0: So Lisa, someone's listening to this and maybe they're pulling up to their home or something like that or a pharmacy and they've got a few minutes while we're still on their mind. What does a pharmacist do now, maybe in relation to you, diversify RX, maybe something else? What are they going to do with those few minutes to act on maybe something they heard today?
1: To me, as a pharmacy owner, and if you want to increase your profitability, my biggest takeaway would be profitable strategies don't just fall from the sky. You actually have to be actively searching for them and looking for them. And so what I think is one of the best ways to do that You know, I have a podcast. They're listening to this podcast. Obviously, they like listening. Um, I try to keep them short and sweet. We have some longer, more in-depth ones. But go just start listening and to get new ideas. You have to have some source. You have to have a spring to get your ideas from. And once you have ideas, you might come up with something all on your own. You might go implement something exactly as I presented it. But you as a pharmacy owner are going to be stagnant. And this year is not going to be any better than last year unless you're actively looking for those strategies and those opportunities. So I would say flip that switch. And instead of just waiting for profit to just magically come from somewhere that you take that active approach, and you seek out some new ideas and new strategies, that then you might implement or might just give you another idea. But so to me, it'd be like, go follow, go subscribe on YouTube, go subscribe to the podcast, do something whether it's me or someone else, I'm you know, I have no ego in this at all. But actively, Put something in place, and it has to be a system, because if you're just going to rely on memory, it's not going to happen. And that's why subscribing or, or something like that, um, to where you get new information into your brain on a regular basis, because that's going to keep you fresh, and that's going to keep you ready and able to pounce on that next opportunity that is a good fit for you.
0: Well, Lisa, golly, great having you on the show. Nice to meet you, finally.
1: I know. Thank you so much for having me. I am glad that we haven't officially met. And it's great because you do such great things. I love listening to your shows. And uh, you have such a a wide variety that it's one of those things. You got to put that information in your brain. And so I love hearing from other people. So I'm very honored that you invited me. Thank you.
0: I got a listener. I Sometimes I think it's just... My dog and I are my two fans of the show.
1: I know exactly what that feeling is like because sometimes you publish something and it's crickets. And you're like, did did anybody see that? <laughs> did anybody listen? And um, and then ultimately, then the messages start coming in or you, you see a comment or something. But um, no good work goes unnoticed, even if it's not publicly. It does help somebody. So I, I feel you.
0: Like we talked about doing one day better for yourself. And that's what I like about the podcast because people don't really know how it's doing. There's not a really good rating system as far as numbers for podcasts. And I like that because it's me competing against me and not worrying about some social media number of likes and so on.
1: Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Hands down, Uh, you've got to do something. And I I would say also for you, it's probably a good outlet. Like it's a a good way to, interact with people that you maybe would have never interacted with. I For mean, you've sure. had some amazing interviews and it's like, what typical pharmacy owner is going to go out of the way to the talk to this person, even though it's highly interesting. Yeah. And so, um, it probably keeps your busy brain, uh, you know, kind of gives its dopamine hits of like learning new things and stuff as well.
0: Someone might think that this would be a show where I would talk to other pharmacists, but it's like, I typically would never have a independent pharmacy owner on here because I'm one of them it's like I don't want to talk to someone like me I've got to talk to people as much as I would like to be in the car with them and driving up north for a couple hours and it's like I don't really want to do that with another pharmacist I'm afraid I would just sit there and bitch too much with them
1: (laughs) well that's what that's what happens that's what ends up happening
0: well Lisa thanks for everything you're doing you're doing some important work
1: thank you for that I appreciate it take care Lisa thank you
0: You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.